Thank you, Dr. Taylor. Thank you, musicians and choir, for all of the worship this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse 16 through 18 this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5. These are familiar words to us. As I mentioned before, it's a phrase that is constant in our minds when we think of this issue of prayer. But the Apostle Paul writing to these new believers leaves us some interesting questions. Let's read together our text, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand in honor of reading of God's Word. And just as a reminder to you, we do this not out of any sense of formal tradition, but simply to remind us that this is the Word of God. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me read it again. Rejoice always, pray constantly, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time of worship that we have already experienced. We sense your presence in this place. We are encouraged as we gather because there are words of encouragement for one another. We have spent time this morning studying your word. And now we come to the place, Lord, of hearing from your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that you would challenge and motivate us. But, Lord, more than anything, I pray that we would surrender to you. This time of worship is not about us. Father, this is an offering for you. I pray that we would offer our mind's attention, our heart's affection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, these are familiar words, but questions arise. Namely, for me, the very first question is I think about the the high challenge that is before us in these three simple statements to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in everything. Here's my question. What is this? I mean, is Paul coming to the end of this letter and saying, I think I need to just add some challenge to believers? Well, of course, the answer is no. We believe that Scripture is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so it's far deeper than that. But I believe something very, very significant is going on here that you and I need to see this morning. As we continue thinking about prayer together, as we continue thinking about this idea of prayer being a mark of the Christian's life and Christian's behavior, it matters how we behave. It is important that we pray as believers. So this morning I want to talk to you about the importance of prayer. In fact, if you go back through the the last couple of weeks, we talked very earnestly two weeks ago about how important it is to pray, but from the standpoint of what is prayer actually for? What's the purpose of prayer? We said it was an act of dedication, an avenue of communication, a wonderful opportunity for making our request known to God. Last week we talked about those things that block our prayers, those hindrances to answers. 
Today I want us to look at these words from the Apostle Paul and begin to see together the importance of life in the Spirit. Really, if I had to answer the question, what is this? Paul here is reflecting for us life in the Holy Spirit. This is nothing other than life in the Holy Spirit. He's reminding us of distinguishing marks of the believer who is living the Spirit-filled life, namely joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. In fact, church, if you and I were to go back and study a broader section of this passage, if we went back to verse 13, he, he says, bear with one another in love. And then he says, be patient with one another. And he goes on and he, he continues to talk about these, these matters of love and patience and now joy and thanksgiving. Well, what are those things? We begin to see he's painting a picture of the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Things that flow directly from a life filled with the Spirit. That that is what is manifest in the life of the believer. I believe right now, probably more than any other time in history, people will spend and, and do anything that they possibly can do in pursuit of those very things. People are, are on journeys of, of just trying to earn enough money so that they can buy some sense of patience or love or peace or happiness. But the reality is we know that those things truly are born from the Spirit of God. And here the Apostle Paul as he reflects the life in the Holy Spirit begins to show us some things about prayer that I think you and I need desperately to know. Because I think there's some misconceptions about prayer. I think sometimes we, we draw our prayer from a place of discipline where we say, I, I really don't pray enough and I need to pray more. And when we do that, I think that we're drawn to a temptation to feel guilt and shame and frustration. Well, in this passage of Scripture, it tells us some things about the will of God. I don't believe it's God's will for you to pray out of guilt or shame. Amen? There's another equal temptation, though, on the opposite end of that spectrum. I think at times some people who are devoted to praying, who are passionate about praying, are drawn to a separate temptation. They're drawn to the temptation of self-righteousness. In fact, if you think about it, nobody prayed more than the Pharisees. Nobody. With a great sense of self-righteousness. Look at me and how I pray was their attitude. Jesus spoke the words, you must be born, what? Again, to who? To Nicodemus, to a religious man, to a praying man, to a Pharisee. This is a man who would have known very clearly much of religion. And yet Jesus spoke to him and said, you have a great need and that need is to be born again. And for us today to fall uh, victim to either of those temptations toward guilt and shame over our prayer life and to motivate our prayer life out of that sense or to be motivated out of self-righteousness are both equally wrong. And today what I want us to do is to see from this text very simply the life in the Spirit and how it impacts our prayer life. Very important for us to see. I, I want us to do this if we can. I want us to begin, if you don't mind, with the end in mind. Look at verse 18 again with me. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I cannot tell you how many times over the past 27 years or so of my pastoral ministry that people have come to me and they say, Pastor, I just need to know, I just want to know God's will. 
in this matter. Well, there are certain places in Scripture that say specifically, this is God's will for you, and this is one of those. It says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will? Well, we've just read it, namely that you would rejoice always, that you would pray without ceasing, and that you would give thanks for all things. You said that seems like an impossible task. These challenges would be if they were just a motivational speech. If somebody was just saying, hey, come on, get with it. You need to rejoice always. Come on, get with it. You need to pray without ceasing. No, he says something very important. I want you to circle it either in your listening guide or in your Bible or both. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Circle in Christ Jesus. Underline that phrase, in Christ Jesus. Because without that understanding, all of the rest of it we will miss. The life that we are talking about, the Spirit-filled life, is a life of those who are living in Christ Jesus. It is a life that's revealed by Christ, and it's a life that's only possible through Christ. It's a life of rejoicing always, and praying continually, and giving thanks in all things, but it's only in the reach of those who know Jesus. That's why I think that there's such frustration in our culture as people are trying their best to find some sense of lasting joy. And they find fleeting moments of happiness, but the reality is that lasting joy only comes from a relationship with Christ, the Spirit-filled life. Think with me about this, church. Nothing in the New Testament is like this. You don't see any challenge of of that magnitude. It's only through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive the gift of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Prayer flows so much from the life in the Spirit that it's only possible through Jesus. And so in a moment as we look at this matter of prayer, we will see that your relationship with Christ is the driving force for your prayers. A man named James Denny who wrote a book called The Death of Christ said it very, very well. It's in your guide there. He said that until Christ came, no man even dreamt of rejoicing always, praying constantly and giving thanks in everything. You see, it's only in Jesus that these things could happen. Now, if there's any one area, church, listen to me. I want, you to, I want you to look this way. I want to see every eyeball, if I, I may. Choir, make sure you're there. If there's any one area that I have a deep burden over our church for, is that it, it is for us as a church to grow in the life and the Spirit that we would become a church led by, filled with, in step with the Spirit of God. That we would be a people not depending on the giftings of our staff and the the greatness of our programming and the, the, the sermons, but we would depend wholly upon the Spirit of God. That we would seek His empowerment for everything that we do. We can't change lives, and yet we say often, we desire to see lives changed. So if you and I desire to see lives changed here in Hattiesburg and beyond, in our neighbors, in our nations, and in the coming generation, if we truly desire to see that, then it's only going to be because we are living spirit-filled lives and the power of God is upon the message that we preach and share. Amen? 
That's the only hope that we have, the power of God. And so as we see Paul writing to Thessalonica and saying you need to rejoice constantly or always, you need to pray without ending, without ceasing, and give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ. Let's look at this together. I would say it this way. Most of you perhaps have grasped the sense that Jesus forgives sins and gives entrance into heaven. I believe that church members all over the world have have grasped that. But the reality is few have gotten this, that Jesus wants to come into our lives through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and to mold us and to remake us, to shape us, to transform us. Most people stop at that point. They say, I want to trust Jesus to go to heaven, but I'm drawing a line there. I still want to be in control of some things. And we live beneath the privilege of life in the Spirit. We live beneath the privilege of all that Christ has for us. And the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit is shut down in our lives. In fact, if you were to add one more verse, if we just continued in this passage, verse 19, do not stifle the Spirit. One pastor said it this way. I appreciated this so much. He said to his church congregation, we hang on and live by the empowerment of the Spirit of God and His work among us, and without the breath of His life, the whole structure of our ministry is like a house of cards that can collapse in an instant. Church family, what I'm saying to us as we move through this is that unless the power of God is upon what we do, then nothing that we do really matters. It won't make any uh, eternal significance or difference. You prepare a Sunday school class. You organize a small group. We practice up some music. I write and preach another sermon. We put a camp on for our kids or for our students. We participate in outreach. We organize fellowships. But in all those activities, we are like Elijah rearranging the wood on the altar. And unless fire from heaven falls, nothing really was accomplished. Without the fire of God, it's just another sermon, just another song, just another Sunday school class, just another camp, just another outreach, just another fellowship. Oh, but we would long for the fire of heaven to fall upon this place and to fill our lives, to burn off the dross of sin in our hearts and say to us, we are a people that are called to Him, collected by Him, set apart for Him, that we would be used in His power. I don't want to do just another sermon. I don't want to just sing another song. I don't want our youth to just go on another camp. I don't want us to have just another hour of Sunday school or another special. Maybe you're comfortable with that. But maybe just maybe there's someone here this morning that would say, I'm fairly sick and tired of that which we alone can do. And I hunger for that which God alone can do. Amen? A very sobering question for us this morning is, do we know the difference? Do we know the difference between that which we alone can do and that which God alone can do? Do we sense the difference in our lives? I want to give you this morning three marks of life in the Spirit. Three marks of the 
the Spirit-filled life, if you will, and they come directly from our text. We're just walking through this text and seeing what is said here to them. The very first mark is this, that you should experience joy. That you should experience joy. The Bible says you should be joyful always. Now, Paul is speaking to young Christians, new Christians that have experienced persecution. He's speaking to Christians who are mourning the loss of loved ones. If we go back, they were asking questions. What about those who have died in Jesus? He's speaking to a church that has faced strong temptation and have gone through trials. But he says to them, I want you and God wants you to experience joy. He says, in fact, I want you to choose joy. It's a command. He says, rejoice always. He's saying, in all of this, you are in Christ Jesus. And so whatever you are facing right now, there's joy that is yours because you are in Him. And it's joy that cannot be taken away. Praise God. Praise God that you are in Christ. See, as a person who is in Christ this morning, you can choose joy and to choose to be joyful. This choice of joy is to recognize all that God has done for you even in face of all of those temptations, trials, and struggles. If you are in Christ this morning, you need to begin to think about all that He's done for you. Look at what He's done through even this book. He says He's enabled us to stand by graciously laying hold of us. He's chosen us, given us His gospel. It came to us with power and we received it. It's changed our life. It's changed our destiny. And now he's given, and he says to them, given you the opportunity to share your testimony and it impact other people. These things are true of you. Therefore, choose to be joyful. Choose to respond to every circumstance with great encouragement of being in Christ. You see, our joy flows out of being in Christ. Don't miss that first phrase, or the parentheses of this phrase. Rejoice always. This is God's will in Christ. You link those together and you begin to say, I am in Christ. I had a, a great conversation just this past week with one of our members about uh, our, our life in Christ and all that we have. And when we begin to acknowledge the, the identity that we have in Jesus Christ, it changes everything. Not because of who we are, but because of all that He's done in our lives. So for you today, I, I simply ask, are you living in Christ? One measure, one evidence might be, are you choosing joy? I find myself very, very quickly drawn to complain. If I have to wait in a line too long for something, if, I have to, if I'm delayed in something, if things don't go exactly the direction that I was hoping or expecting or anticipating, I, I don't know about you, but I find myself just absolutely frustrated at times, and I lose sight of what Christ has done for me. That's just honest admission. I don't know if that's true of you. Maybe it's not. Maybe perhaps you're much more spiritual than I and I need to hurry up to the next point because you're saying, we got that one down, preacher. Maybe you're choosing daily to live in joy. But I venture a guess that many of us are struggling with this because we've lost sight of who we are in Christ. As we move forward in this and think about this idea, uh, the reality is that that prayer is not just the origin of the Spirit moving, it's an evidence of the Spirit moving, just as joy is. You see, joy flows from a relationship with Christ. 
Prayer will flow from a relationship with Christ. Here's what I would say to you. When the life of the Spirit is in you, you will pray. And when the life of the Spirit is moving in the church, the church will pray. That's why I go back to what I said a moment ago. I can't think of any deeper need or greater burden for our church than we living, uh, we begin living in the Spirit. We begin living our lives submitted to the Spirit of God. I want to see the power flow through this place. And when Jesus came to the place of saying that my Father's house shall be called a house of prayer, He was saying this establishment of the church must be upon the power of the Spirit. If it's not, then I'm just doing a bunch of talking. Think about that. Real prayer is only in the Spirit. It's not, a, it's not a mysterious thing. It simply means when I acknowledge who Christ is and what Christ has done in and through and for me, then it's going to flow out of a relationship with unbelievable joy. I want to tell everybody, evangelism flows out of life in the Spirit. Prayer flows out of the life in the Spirit. Discipleship completely flows out of the life of the Spirit. When I'm filled with the Spirit of God, when I'm surrendered to the Spirit of God, I want to share with others all that Jesus has told me to share with others. It's an act of obedience, an act of love. And the mission of God will be accomplished. So prayer, missions, discipleship, evangelism, all flow from the power of the Spirit. And so one mark of the Spirit of God is very simply that you will experience joy. It's nothing artificial. There's no plastic grin. Your, your joy comes from recognizing who Christ is and what He's done for you. I want to get out of order if I can for just a moment on your listening guide, but I actually put them in your notes this way on the screen so you'll see this. Another mark of the Spirit is that you would pray with gratitude. That's number three. You can go down the list and then we'll come back. God's will is that you choose joy, and then God's will is that you pray and live with gratitude, that you give thanks in all things. I'll pull over only for a moment because I really want to key in on this central affirmation of prayer in a moment. But when he says to pray with gratitude or to give thanks for all things, no, he didn't say that. He said, in all things. Love does not delight in evil. There are some that have this sadistic mindset that we're supposed to just pray and thank God for everything. Thank you for giving me this difficulty. No, it says thank God in all things. Very important distinction for us today. It, it may help you to see evil does exist. Evil is abounding, but the truth is that God will never leave you or forsake you. And in the midst of any difficult trial or temptation, you can turn to Him with thanksgiving and thank Him for all that He has provided, including future hope that goes far beyond the temptation or the trial. Amen? Prayer flows out of great joy. And so does gratitude. No matter how bleak your life is, your life is in the hands of Christ and the Spirit is at work within you. So we are to experience joy and we are to give thanks in all things. And so now I do want us to go back and focus on this central theme. If you look at those three verses, rejoice always, pray constantly, and then give thanks. So let's look at the, the, this final one, which is actually number two on your list, that you should communicate with the Father. You should communicate with the Father. Prayer is open communication. 
Now, I imagine some of you would say, what does this mean? Does this mean that He wants us to quit our day job and go full-time praying? Actually, we know that He has just rebuked some people for doing that. They've kind of set aside the the responsibilities of life for a a religious cause and quit. And He said, no, if you don't work, you, you shouldn't eat. It's not that. The best picture that I can give you for this is a a good communication model in marriage. If you were to ask me, how do you and Stephanie communicate? I I could give you only a partial answer. Because we communicate in lots of different ways. I mean, I could go through my schedule and tell you, well, early in the morning we oftentimes sit down and eat breakfast together and we pray together before I head off into the day and take Heidi off to school. And and then during the day at times we'll text one another or, or email one another. There's usually a call here or there. We try often to eat lunch together. There are different times we'll get together and just talk and and catch up on the day. At the end of the day, oftentimes we walk together, and as we walk, we talk. We just share. But that would be such a partial answer to our communication. There are times that we communicate with each other in different ways. There are times that that communication in marriage can be such that, that a squeeze of a hand a glance. Can you think of those times when you look at your spouse and you knew exactly what they were thinking before a word was ever spoken? I see some sheepish grins. Most of you men are thinking, yeah, I was in trouble and I'd done something and got caught. And she knew it. You know, it's funny to think that communication at its finest really sometimes happens that way. There's just this calming sense of love and affirmation even without verbal communication. I remember counseling a young couple in their premarital stage, and they said, oh, we just love each other so much. I mean, they were almost to that point of making you nauseous a little bit. I mean, they were just so lovey-dovey. And I said, yeah, this will last. Let's talk in a year from now. And she said, it is so sweet. She said, I'll start a sentence, and he finishes it. A year and a half later, they're back in my office for counseling, and she's going, he won't let me finish the sentence. Well, it was cute a year and a half ago. (laughs) Communication is an interesting thing. The reason that I bring this up, I'll go back to what I said early on in this message, that sometimes we, we find ourselves drawn to the temptation, I need to be disciplined to pray more. And when I read the words of the Apostle Paul to pray without ceasing, I say, I need to man up and set aside an hour in the morning and grit through it and work through that and do that. And the danger is that if it's only driven out of guilt and discipline and duty, that's not God's will for us. Now, is it appropriate to discipline ourselves for things of godliness? Yes, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that later on. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. But your prayer life needs to become empowered by and flowing from the power of the Spirit, and the relationship that you have with Christ. I long to communicate with Stephanie. When we're away from one another, there's just always been this natural desire to circle back around, tell me about what you experienced. Tell me about what you saw today. How was your day? What was your week like? And for you and for me, we need to come to the place where we understand that praying in the Spirit, praying continually in the Spirit means this, knowing the people you meet, the challenges you face, the opportunities before you are not random, 
chance acts, but the Lord is actively sharing your life with you. And so what you do is you develop a warm and open conversational attitude with the Lord always. Again, it flows out of this sense of joy. When I truly acknowledge God daily, moment by moment, it changes my perspective. Doesn't matter what comes my way, God, you're with me and you have a grand purpose and plan and design. God, I'm just going to walk in confidence in that design today. And when the phone rings, uh, there are oftentimes I'll say, Lord, I'm not sure who this is, but when I answer this phone, I pray that you would use me in this circumstance to be a blessing. God, give me wisdom as I counsel. God, give me direction as I make decisions. And you're sharing life with God. Now, some people say, well, that's just kind of a, a willy-nilly feeling. No, what I'm saying is, I'm not, you, you say, well, I need to pray, uh, have a set quiet time. I'm not at all against set quiet times. I have one. But the Bible doesn't say go in your prayer closet only and just have a set quiet time from this hour to this hour. It says pray without ceasing. Jesus raised the bar. He said, not out of guilt or duty, He says, you've got a grand and glorious opportunity to be involved moment by moment with the God of the universe who loves you so much that He will answer your prayers, that He will hear your prayers, that He will guide and direct you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that we have that kind of relationship. But oftentimes people who are struggling with duty, don't, they miss this. They, they don't realize that this is what God's desire is for them. You see, you have this joy of talking to Him about everything. Another who is with you always. And you see in some sense that everything that comes to you comes through His hand. And that brings confidence. This is life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is marked by continual rejoicing. Life in the Spirit is marked by praying without ceasing, an unending conversation. It's marked with gratitude. But I want to ask three questions, and, and this really takes us kind of to the end of this focus on the importance of prayer. These three questions hopefully will help us to get our minds around the issue of prayer. You ready? I want you to really think through these for a moment with me. Number one, what are we up against? Some of you say, well, in our culture, we're up against ignorance of the Bible. We're up against no interest in the church. I mean, church numbers are declining. Our culture seems to be darkening all around us. But your answer to these questions really will give me a good sense, like a litmus test, of the spiritual condition of our church. If you tell me that we're just up against ignorance of the Bible, then we just need to go out and teach more people the Bible. It's deeper than that. If you tell me there's just no interest in the church, then we need to figure out ways to spark interest. We'll have fun events and we'll draw in crowds. No. Churches have tried that. You can draw crowds. That's not what God's called us to do. It's not about drawing crowds. We need the power of the Spirit to engage the problem that we're up against. You know why? Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is something deeper, something darker, something bigger beyond what we can see with our physical eyes. There is a spiritual war going on. Parents, do you realize that Satan longs to take your kids and drag them into the garbage heap of life and dump them there and find someone else's life to destroy? 
Christian, if God, uh, if, if Satan can destroy your testimony, if he can keep you away from God, that's the very best. If he can keep someone blinded and in their sin, then that's wonderful. But when someone comes to faith in Christ, he wants to destroy their testimony and hurt the heart of God. There's a spiritual war going on. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick of it. I'm ready to reclaim some lost territory. I'm ready for us to push back the darkness. What are we up against? A spiritual war. And we can only fight that with spiritual weapons. And we fight it with prayer in the Spirit. Letting God reign in our hearts and flow through us with joy and thanksgiving and constant communication. Years ago, to illustrate this point, Stephanie and I were driving. We lived in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We were driving 30 minutes over to Spokane, Washington. Now, if you've ever been to the Pacific Northwest, there, there were times you could see on the big flat plains of the, the Rathdrum Prairie, you would see a storm brewing off. You could see the rain from top to bottom, all of it. And it would start to get dark, and we'd get fearful, because here in Mississippi, we have, you know, just stump floaters. I mean, we get some serious gully-washing rain. Well, out there... It would get dark and lightning would peel off and thunder would roll and, and it would come through and sprinkle. And we, it was so bizarre. Most of the time, all of the precipitation came in the winter in the form of snow. So we're driving to Spokane and, and the wind is blowing, I mean, like crazy. And, and our little car, we were doing all that we could to keep it on the road. And, and it was raining just insane and then it started to hail and then it started to sleet and then it was snowing and then it went back to rain it was just awful and we get back home and I was talking to a friend of mine I said man that was some of the worst weather I've ever seen they said where were you I said well where were you they said we were locked in our basement I said why were you locked in your basement they said because there was a tornado that was coming right through Spokane didn't you hear they said where were you I was on the interstate heading to Spokane looking for it. <laughs> I picked up the newspaper the next day and it talked about the weather wallop. I mean, it was unbelievable. It had cut a swath of just destruction. And I said, well, when was that? Oh, 2 to 4 p.m. Yeah, that was about the time we got in our car. We had no idea that we were on the fringe of something really bad. Thank goodness God in His grace protected us physically. Church, I want you to see that we're on the fringe of something sinister. There is a spiritual war that is real. And if you and I don't begin to take prayer seriously and realize that the will of God for us in Christ Jesus is that we walk with great constant joy, constant prayer, and constant gratitude, then we are going to miss it and we will be defeated in this war. What are we up against? Powers and principalities. We better be prepared. There's a very real blindness to God's truth, a deadness to His love, and a rebellion to His law. The human nature in all of us is darkened by sin. Let me take you to your second question. What do you want to see happen? Think about it. In our church, what do you want to see happen? This is a critical question. Oh, we want to see people helped. Well, I hope nothing short of that. We definitely want to help people. I want to see lives transformed, and you and I cannot do that. James Ford is a pastor in Chicago. He, he, he is an ex-drug dealer. He's pastored a Bible church there in Chicago for almost 20 years. He made it a point that once he got saved, he was going to go back to every spot that he had ever done a drug deal and, and share the gospel. 
every pool table, every bar, every street corner, and it had great results. He started seeing people saved. He was preaching one Sunday morning, and there was a lady over to the side that was kind of laughing, and he, he, he just couldn't, he just it got all over him, and he caught her afterwards and said, ma'am, what is, what is that you're laughing about? She said, I can't get over this church. She said, he said, what do you mean? He said, well, your, your chairman of deacons is an ex-crack addict. You are an ex-drug dealer. I, I know two or three members of your band that are ex-gangbangers. I mean, they were trouble. She said, God must really be desperate these days. And he said, no, ma'am, God's not desperate. God's merciful. Let me give you a very different testimony. This past week, I've sat down with several of our members as we're working through their story. I've asked every member of our church to put their story on whativaluemost.com. And I've had people who have looked at me and said, Brother Scott, I don't really have a testimony. Jesus saved me when I was six. Therein lies the problem. Did it take more power to save James Ford, a drug dealer, than it did to take a six-year-old suburban kid and save them? Yes or no? No. The same power that brings death to life was at work in both. And here's my fear, folks, and I want you to get this with me. The reality is, if you and I think it's a lesser miracle, here's what will happen. If you and I don't pray then we will begin to help our kids become nice and polite and religious and career-driven and self-centered and money-driven and, and comforted with religious faith. And I want them to understand that they're dead in their sins and in desperate need of the power of God to save them. I don't want to raise a generation of nice, lost church members. And for you and for me to realize the power of God. You see, what do you want to see happen? Do you want to see your kids just stay out of trouble? Do you want to see your kids just not smoke and drink and chew and run around with girls who do? You know that old adage? I don't want to just do behavior modification in this church. I want to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And that is the power that only the Spirit of God can bring. So for you and for me, dead means dead. And it doesn't take lesser power or a lesser miracle to save a six-year-old than it does to save a drug addict. The reality is, New Testament Christianity is a place where we decide that the deadness of our tradition will die and we will live in the power and the Spirit of Christ. The reality is, if there's any way that we can live our lives apart from constant joy, constant gratitude, constant prayer, then we're going to shortchange our kids, we're going to shortchange ourselves, we're going to shortchange this church and this community. This community needs the power of God. And the power of God is the gospel. That's the power unto salvation. I'll finish it up here. What do you depend on? What do you depend on? I ask you, what are we up against? Spiritual warfare. What are we called to? To see life come from death, and that takes the power of God. But what do you depend on? Are we depending as a church on having good pastors, on good staff, good programs, good gifted people? If that's what we've depended on, then that's pretty close to idolatry. We need more than that. And I'll close it with this. I know our time is stretched. 
Paul came to Thessalonica. This is interesting. Paul came to Thessalonica, and the book of Acts says he left there, and he went on to, to um, Corinth. He went to Athens and Corinth. And you would think that Paul, after having phenomenal success in Thessalonica, people got saved. I mean, stuff was happening. He would have come into Corinth and said, okay, I know the deal. I've seen successful ministry. I, I come boldly before you. Let me tell you what, what happened in Thessalonica. You know what Paul said? Paul said, I came to you with fear and trembling. Because he knew that it was only the power of God that would change the hearts and lives of the people at Corinth. Just like it had happened in Thessalonica. We can become so slick and so focused on our strategy and our plan and our design for this church that we miss the power of God. My heart's desire is that today we would start in a fresh new way, rejoicing in everything, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in everything, and watching the Spirit of God do that which only He can do. Here's the deal. The life that lives in the Spirit will pray. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenges from Your Word that are here. And God, I, I would... I would just look to those in this place who think that praying without ceasing is impossible and it's frustrating. And you would help them to see that, yes, it is impossible and frustrating apart from the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you give us life in Christ. Thank you that you indwell our lives, that you give us power to face whatever circumstance comes. And the, the encouragement to give thanks in it. Lord Jesus, today, I pray that if there's one who has never been touched by the Spirit, God, there are people who are here that, that have lived nice lives, good lives, decent lives, but Lord, the standard that they have set is far short of your standard of perfection. They're depending on their goodness, their church attendance for heaven. God, today, may we depend upon you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to